0: Thank you, thank you Wayne, and thank you choir. If you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to be looking at 16 and 17, but we'll just be reading this morning chapter 17 uh, verses 15 down through the end of the chapter. So Genesis 17, uh, 15 through 27 is what we'll be reading. And Wayne, thank you so much uh, for standing in the gap. Uh, You've done such a great job for us and uh, Gene, thank you for leading choir practice on Wednesday nights, but I am, I will say, this has nothing to do with you, Wayne, but I'm excited for Nathan to get back. Uh, he said he's growing out a ponytail during quarantine, and so I'm really looking forward to him uh, getting back so we can check that out, so we're uh, praising the Lord for for that. They are doing well, though, the Edwards family is, and we're excited. We're excited to have them back, and uh, I'm gonna—I'll start laughing in the middle of the sermon. Just think about Nathan with a ponytail, and uh, that'll be—that'll be good. That'll be fun for a few days. Um, Genesis 17, uh, verses 15 through 27. If you feel uh, okay doing it, why don't you go ahead and stand with me, out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God? Uh, Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her. Moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face, and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may, might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And he shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished uh, talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for every word of the Bible. God, today we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive this word. God, it's our prayer we would be changed by. it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You ever been scared before? I mean, just really scared. I have a few times in my life been scared. But it, if you're a parent, you know that one of the scariest moments you can have—I I mean, just one of the things that just sends chills down your spine—is when you hear out of the mouth of a toddler, "Toddler, no, mommy, I do it, <laughs> Daddy." I'll do it. Let me handle it. Or, or maybe, maybe you're pretty handy. Some of you in the room are good at building stuff. Brian Harbison's good at building stuff and others of you are as well and uh, good at doing that sort of thing. And you're horrified, absolutely horrified when a guy like me says, hey man, let me help you with that. And it's like Woody Whenever there's a little project that needs to be done in my house, I say, hey, man, why don't you come help me with this project? And I watch TV, and Woody fixes stuff at my house. It's wonderful. He's not very good at it. We've all been in a situation where uh, you didn't need help, <laughs> but someone decided to help you, right? Where you were fully capable of things, and you, you're too kind of a person to say no my sweet three-year-old, I don't need your help carrying this chair into the house or whatever else. We're probably both going to be injured by the time this is over, thanks to your help. I, I, I think we've all been there, where we know that we can handle something, and help will kind of really do nothing but hurt. This morning, I, I want to encourage you in, in a truth. I, 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 want, I want you to think about this. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need our help. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't include us in His plan. That that, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use us. That that doesn't mean that we can't be used by God for His glory, according to His plans and according to His mercy. I've staked my whole life on the fact that I, I think God can use me to preach the gospel. But never for a moment, never for a moment do I want to forget that God doesn't need Matt Alexander's help to build his kingdom. Things were going just fine before I came on the scene, and things will be going just fine one day when I exit the scene. This morning, I want to encourage you, I want to press upon you to embrace the wisdom and the mercy and the will of God. I I want to press upon you this morning to just embrace God's wisdom rather than your own. Now, many of us think, okay, that we're wise in our own sight. And those of you who are married, I would encourage you to get an honest assessment of your wisdom this afternoon. Your spouse will help, I promise. They'll, They'll help you with those things. Here's the here's reality. I, I want you to embrace God's wisdom rather than your own. Because so often what we do is we hear from the Lord and the Lord in His grace and His goodness through His Word, He tells us what He's trying to do. And you know what we say? No, God, I do it. Hey, Lord, you seem like you've got this going on. I think you could use my help. So often, so often it leads not To good things, but to bad things. Three truths this morning to lead you to embrace God's wisdom rather than your own. Here's the first. Look for your sinful blind spots. Look for your sinful blind spots. Now this section of the Bible in chapter 16, if you want to back up and look, and just remember each week, Whatever passage is in the chimes or in the bulletin or whatever, if you have time that week or if you're able, try to read it if you can. Now, here's the reality. I'll catch us up on the story. I, th- I think you'll be fine, but it would behoove you, if you wanted to, to read the passage ahead if you had the opportunity. So this story, chapter 16, is about the time that Sarai decided to help God out. What had God done? God had made a promise to Abraham that he would have descendants, right? That he would have a seed through whom God would bless the world. And, And so God is in the process of restoring all things and making all things new and making all things right through the seed of Abraham. God has made promises, and those promises come through a son. And so Sarah, who could not have children who's on up in years, in terms of childbearing years, she um, she takes matters into her own hands. She has a slave, a, a servant, named Hagar. And as you read the text, you'll note more than once, Moses indicates that Hagar was an Egyptian. There's a highlight here that, that she's from... Egypt. I think what Moses is trying to do is highlight to us the way that he's he's foreshadowing the way that in the future Israel would take for themselves foreign wives. It's often a way that the Lord uh, would judge them is through them going after other gods and other things. It, some people I think go back and read the Bible falsely and thinks think that that had something to do with interracial marriage, but that's not the point. The point's interreligious marriage. That they they were syncretizing the Worship of the one true God with foreign worship. And so the language here and the highlight of Hagar being an Egyptian, I think, is the way Moses is foreshadowing the fact that God is displeased with the taking of foreign wives. And so Hagar, the Egyptian slave, is given to Abraham as a a surrogate, uh, uh, as a concubine in so many ways in order to provide an heir on Sarah's behalf. Now, there are things going on here in the ancient world that we are uncomfortable with. Slavery, and they're just, it's not a comfortable passage. Uh, but I, I think it's important for us not to shy away from what the Bible talks about, but simply to remember that just because the Bible is describing something doesn't mean it's God's ideal design. As the Scripture progresses, we get a clearer picture of what marriage ought to look like. And I want you to know that slave concubines are not part of that picture, just in case anyone's curious. It's not part of it. But the reality is that Hagar then gets pregnant. So Sarah, for her whole life, has longed to be pregnant and can't. The Lord has not given her and Abram a child. And the next thing you know, pretty quickly, this servant becomes pregnant. And that's when things kind of turn into real housewives of Canaan. The drama begins. And Hagar, who's a servant, starts to act a little uppity, right? She starts to despise Sarah. She she, she gets really frustrated, Sarah does, because her her slave, her servant, is not acting like a servant anymore. And guess whose fault it is? Abraham's fault, right? So she goes to Abraham and starts to blame him. She won't act like a servant anymore, so really the drama is intensifying. Sarah's really harsh with Hagar. When, when, when she goes to Abram, even, she, she really uses language that, that shows the rawness of the situation. When she says, I gave you my servant. In the Hebrew, it, it really got some sort of sexual connotation to it. She is hurt deeply. So then she mistreats Hagar. She's mean and cruel to Hagar, it seems like, harsh with her, the Bible says, and Hagar runs away. And if, if you could, it's, it's not uh, easy to do, but from what I can understand, as you read the, the text in Hebrew, a lot of the words and phrases and sentences match up with words and phrases and sentences from early in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And if you go look, you can see the way that there are parallels in the way that Moses describes the fall through the relationship of Adam and Eve and the way that Moses describes this episode between Abram and Sarai and Hagel. It's a picture then of the way that the fall has worked its way into every human relationship, even the marriage, even the marriage. Look at this the second pulpit. I almost knocked it down. This is because the choir wants me to preach to them more, so I can put my notes here. We see the way that the fall has worked its way into every single human relationship. Even the relationship of the ones who God is using to lift the curse. The curse is still there. Sin is still there. There's a temptation, I think, for those of us who believe, and maybe some of you here who don't believe, to be paralyzed by sin. To to look at your own life, and I think you should. To look at your own life and to look at your own sins and to look at your own situation and think, God can't use me. I'm beyond hope. God's not pleased with this behavior. Certainly He's not. But you might say, I'm a lost cause. There's nothing left for me in this world. But I want you to know that passages like this should encourage you. Passages like this should encourage you. You say, my house looks like an episode of Maury some days, you know? Real Housewives of Canaan is nothing compared to what's going on in my household. That doesn't put you beyond the reach of God's grace. Your relationships, your life through sin may be in shambles and tatters, but I want you to know and to live knowing this beautiful truth that no sin puts you beyond the grace of God. Don't you see the way that here we... I'm almost embarrassed to read some of these sentences. You know, some of you may not even be Christians. This might be your first Sunday at church ever. And I'm reading a passage about concubines this morning. And we've not even got to circumcision yet. Do you think? Do you think that the Bible blushes? Do you think that you could make the Lord of heaven and earth blush with what you've done? No. No. You are not beyond God's grace any more than Sarah and Abraham were beyond God's grace. The reality is that the Lord uses broken people because we live in a broken world and instead of us having to get things together to go present ourselves to the Lord, the Lord got himself together and presented himself to us ultimately on the cross in order that we might be saved. Live knowing that. And yet I think even though there's a word of grace and welcome here in this passage, there's also a warning, right? So often our greatest blind spots of sin, so often our greatest blind spots of sin are in the places where we're trying to help God out. Because we're talking about God and dealing with God, we think God must be pleased with it. Now I can imagine Sarah saying, well, you know, this is a perfectly normal way here in the ancient world. This, is a, this was a way whereby people obtained heirs. Uh, if, 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 the, if the wife had a, a servant or a slave, they could then adopt the child of the slave into their household, and that child would be an heir. It was a means by which things were done. And yet I think the way that this is being presented and the language that's being used, I think it's clear that the Lord does not approve of what Sarah was doing. And so I think if you would have asked her, she would have said, well, we're just trying to help speed this process along a little bit. The Lord sometimes drags his feet. Have y'all learned that yet? Sometimes he moves slower than we want him to move. Like Moses murdering the Egyptians, sometimes we tend to want to make God's purposes come about with our own wisdom and our own abilities. We see the world get the way the world gets things done, and we say, let's get things done the same way as the world. But remember this, my friends God doesn't need our help. He's perfectly capable of doing what He wants to do when He wants to do it. And when things are going slow, pardon me for telling you this, but when things are going slow and you don't like it, the problem's not with the Lord. The problem's not with the Lord. Ask yourself this question. Today, 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 where where is it that I'm trying to help God out? Where is it that my faith is weakening and I'm trying to step in, so to speak, to steady the ark instead of letting the Lord's glory settle itself? Here's a second point today. The second point is this. Not only do we need to find our sinful blind spots, but second of all, we've got to get God's perspective on timing. We've got to get God's perspective on timing. Now, Many of you read through the Bible in a year, or you'll say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read through Genesis. And so, sometimes, for many of us, uh, when we're on a Bible reading plan, what we're trying to do is get the check mark for today. Anybody ever been there before? Like, it's not so much that I've read the passage, it's that I've, I can say I've read the passage because I want to get through my Bible in a year, right? And listen, it, I don't care how you're reading the Bible, read it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not critiquing. Just read, read the Bible. It's great to read the Bible. But I think so often, most of the time we spend in the Old Testament is us trying to kind of rush through it. And so if you read through something like Genesis, sometimes you're reading from story to story and you're, you're, you're sort of going in your mind from flannel graph to flannel graph and you're trying to just connect. Okay, I learned this in Sunday school and I learned this in training union when I was young, or I learned this in the Bible study in college and I learned this then and I'm trying to put all this stuff together. And sometimes we just just move really fast and miss things. If you really read these passages carefully, chapter 16 and chapter 17, something might stand out to you. Verse 15, Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Okay. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Now think about that. So often we just read right through there, don't we? We don't really put all that together. There's a lot of minutes. There's a lot of minutes between 86 and 99, aren't there? There's a, that's a lot of years. That's 13 years of life. 13 years of life. I've got... An 8-year-old who couldn't walk when we moved to Gazan, Alabama. Now she can talk back. It's amazing what happens in a short amount of time. And from the moment that Ishmael was born to the moment that God speaks here in this next passage, he has turned into a 13-year-old boy. I think there's a temptation for us to breeze through and wonder why in the world... These folks seem so impatient. We get the idea that things are just rattling right along. 13 years later, the Lord comes back to Abraham and reminds him of his promises and begins to talk specifically of Isaac. He he is finally at a place. Maybe Abraham was 70 when he began his journey. So you're talking about nearly 30 years of waiting for the centerpiece, the cornerstone of the promise. God's people longing for all these decades, longing for God to do what he said he would do. These moments where the Lord is testing them, by and testing their faith all throughout these years where people like Sarah have, have abandoned God's plan, it seems like, in so many ways. And yet, God is faithful. Part of what I think you'll see as you read through and you study Genesis is the way that God's working so often take time. They just take time. And I don't like it. Think about the way we talk about time. You know what we had to do? We had to sit there for an hour. We we sat there and waited for 30 minutes, as if 30 minutes is a long time to wait for almost anything. We want God to get the microwave out when so often the Lord is doing something that takes a lot, lot longer. Than that. Impatience is a challenge to faith, but it doesn't make faith impossible. It's just that you have to be willing to trust God when you aren't seeing what you want to see. So often when we say we walk by faith and not by sight, what people think we mean is blind faith. That you just close your eyes and don't worry about any of that stuff and trust God anyway. It doesn't matter if you have any evidence or anything else. That is not what walking by faith and walking by sight means. Walking by faith and not walking by sight means when I can't see it, when God's made a promise. When God said He'll do something, when the Lord says He'll restore all things, when the Lord says He'll heal our broken bodies one day, when the Lord says one day we'll be with Jesus, and we sit here wondering, Lord, when will it be? Any time now, Lord, but we trust you anyway. That's walking by faith and not by sight. When the Lord says no, it will not be Ishmael, it will be a son whom Sarah bears to you, and 13 years later, there's still no son? And you say, Lord, here's this 13-year-old young man walking around. Why can't we just be done with this already? Why can't we just see it? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, Abram says. You have to be willing to trust God when you aren't seeing what you want to see. When things aren't going the way you want them to go. And every one of us in this room's got to remember just because things are moving slow, just just because things aren't going quite the way we want them to go, doesn't mean that God needs our help. I'm an Auburn fan, but I'm going to say this once and only once you've just got to trust the process. Finally, embrace God's plan with joy. Embrace God's plan with joy. Are you troubled by sin? Surely you are. Nobody thinks about their sin deep down inside. Now, many of us will try to defend it out loud, but I've learned the more people are trying to defend their sin out loud, the more it's gnawing at them inside. It's okay. It's okay. We know. The Lord certainly knows. He knows that you're struggling with it. Why don't you just quit? You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. Let the Lord defend you. Trust Him. But I'm sure some of us are troubled by sin. Some of us this morning are troubled by our own sin. Some of us are frustrated today with God's timing. Right? I won't ask you to raise your hands. But somebody in the room today is frustrated with the Lord's timing, right? I, I just sensed that God would do this, and I felt like I kind of deserved this, and yet God hasn't come through the way I wanted him to come through. So let's just say you are a sinning, impatient Christian, and that's most of us today. What should you do? I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been through this. I'm doing through this, preacher. I mean, I get that I ought not to be that way, but you already know I'm impatient, Tell me what to do. I can't, I can't help God, so what should I do? Here's my suggestion. And I, I think it's the solution with the way chapter 16 and 17 unfold. I, I think this is the solution that Moses is suggesting to us here this morning. Here's this. Get on board with God's plan. That's my answer. I think that's the Bible's answer. Get on board with God's plan. Embrace God's plan With joy, walk by faith, trust the Lord, and get on board. That's what Hagar did. Sarah's been, and Hagar ran away, and she encountered a messenger of the Lord in the wilderness, and the Lord told Hagar that that she was beloved of him, and that there were promises even for Ishmael, even though he was not the promised seed, there are still promises for him. He said, so go home and act right. And she did it. And God fulfilled his promises even to Ishmael. And it's what Abram did. That's what Abram did. God reminded him in chapter 17 of the fact that he would bless all of the nations through his multitude of offspring. And so God decided to give him a sign of the covenant that would remind him and every subsequent generation how their offspring was an answer to the promises of God. Heirs are begotten, not made. And while it seems strange to us in so many ways in the modern world, in the ancient world, if you've read British history and those sorts of things, there was a real sense of pride in producing an heir. Right? Just a real sense of pride that... The men with the greatest virility and the greatest opportunity were the ones who produced heirs. And the wives who didn't produce heirs were the ones that should be done away with. And and there was just a real sense of pride that came around those things. And no Israelite could ever produce an heir. No Israelite would ever have a seed who came from him whom God would not remind him, this one did not come from you. He did not come from the world. This one came came from me because on the 8th day of every young male Israelite's life he was circumcised the bible says in the flesh of his foreskin it's a reminder every time a child every time an heir was born every time one of Abraham's descendants came into the world there was a reminder inscribed literally in his flesh that it is the lord and the lord alone Who keeps his promises and so what did Abraham do the Lord told him what to do and I'm going to be honest if I'm 99 years old and the Lord comes to me and says you want to prove that you're keeping my covenant here's how you do it I get out the phone book to find another church I just start thinking, I think there's got to be something else we can do here. And yet, that's what God said to Abraham that he would do. And what did Abraham do? The Bible says here so plainly and so clearly, the Lord told him to do it, and he did it. God went up from Abraham, then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. The Bible goes on and makes it very clear that Abraham was totally obedient to the Lord. Here's what I suggest you do. It may feel weird. It it may feel counterintuitive. If you're Hagar in the wilderness and the Lord says to you, Hagar, go back. And blessings will come later, but right now you need to go back to being a servant. As soon as as Hagar, right, realized she was going to produce an heir, what did she do? She started acting like it was above her to be a servant. And yet God sends her to do something so strange. He sends her back. And Abraham, who says, I want this to be, I want Ishmael to be my heir, God tells him, No, you will, I'm doing something so strange. In bodies that you think cannot produce children, I will produce a child. And you laugh now, and his name will reflect that reality of of the joy which the Lord is bringing and what God is doing. Isaac will come. God is doing things on the surface that seem so strange. He is calling us to things that when we look at them through the world's eyes seem even so dumb. And yet God is at work right god is at work in the midst of us patiently lovingly trusting him when we still have a blindfold on to all that he's doing god is in the work of taking those things and brewing an immense glory in those things the likes of which the world cannot comprehend and so the scripture says that abraham longed to see what it was that god was doing through his life and that god would do through his seed and now today it is like so plainly before us that God was at work through Abraham to bless the nations not through mere riches and not through mere gold and not through greater things but he was at work through Abraham and through Abraham's seed to bless the world through the Lord Jesus Christ the great seed of Abraham Abraham's great descendant the Lord Jesus Christ through whom all nations are blessed through the message of forgiveness which we preach here today God sent His Son into the world so that you might be saved from your sins. Today, my friends, this is my suggestion to you. Instead of being frustrated with where He has you, instead of drowning in despair, instead of trying to help God out, consider by faith today getting on board God's doing something weird in the world he's taking a group of people here we're all Gentiles he's taking a group of people all over the world people from every tribe, tongue, language and nation and through the preaching of a crucified and risen king he is making for himself a people out of every tribe, tongue, language and nation That feels so weird. It feels so counterintuitive. It feels so weird, like I should have to do more for my sins. I should have to do more to earn God's grace. God should do something bigger so I can see it and make it plain. No, through through the foolishness of what's being preached, the Bible says. God is at work. That's my encouragement to you today. Get on board. Embrace the Lord's wise plan. Because in what seems like God's foolishness, He can do more than we can do through our supreme wisdom. Today, I want to encourage you to walk by faith and not by sight. And you can trust the Lord when you stumble, when you get frustrated, when you can't see it, when you think, I'm sick of this plan, I want to do something else. You don't have to worry because God is faithful and God keeps His promises and you don't have to be alarmed and you don't have to get scared when you think you're going to fumble things. You know why? Because God doesn't need our help. He'll do it. God doesn't need our help. I want to offer an invitation today. Though the altar, quote, is not open right there where you are, you can meet the Lord today. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I want you to know that you've got an opportunity today to trust Him by faith. You've got an opportunity to respond to the Lord and to respond to His gospel. If you would turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ and turn from your sins, I think you will be saved. Second of all, you may be a believer, and you may say, Pastor, I just need to to get on board right there where you are you can pray to the lord today and finally you may be looking for a church home after this service today i'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here first baptist church if you need me you come find me after this service otherwise you do business with the lord right where you are this morning after this prayer i want to invite you to respond to him let's pray together oh lord our god we thank you for jesus we thank you for his gospel And God, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to gather here this morning. And Lord, it's our prayer that we'll be reminded that though you use us for your glory, you don't need our help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.